<clears throat> and it's, you know, it's what? It's, it's just people doing what they can do. And uh, so there is the potential of at least 11 million people or kids coming to Christ. And maybe their parents too. So that's a yay God. We also donated $1,000 to the Honduras Love Boxes. They'll either use those to buy, to buy Christmas presents or to pay for shipping. And let me give you an update on our change offering right here. And uh, what we're doing, uh, for those of you that, that don't know, people are bringing their change. And our goal is to have a cost-free church camp next June. And we're well on the way. We've got $12,000 in our savings account for that. <laughs> Only eight more to go, Eve. So... We can do it. Eight thousand more to go. So every time you give a thousand, the church puts a thousand in, and we're going to meet. We're going to meet that goal, and we're just going to have a wonderful time. Probably have a waiting list for church camp because it, we can only get so many people in that. All right, I'm. I've been excited. I've been studying for three months on this. Uh, even when I was doing the last series, I was studying on this series, and uh, we've named this. Peekaboo, God sees you. That's an odd. You ought to have seen the graphic I had up there a while ago. And uh, people sitting out here saying, oh, that's freaky looking. So we had to change it. It was, it was a picture of Jesus, and he was, had his hands over his eyes with the nail prints, and he was peeking through the, the nail prints. And some people said, <laughs> said that's freaky. <laughs> so we had, to, we had to take that one down. There it is. Pop, pop it up there again. I like that. But I got voted down. Hey, it makes its point, doesn't it? For the next five services, we're going to be doing four Sunday morning services and a Friday night candlelight service. It'll be on the 20th, I think it is, the Friday night before Christmas. We'll be doing a candlelight service. And we're going to be using this theme, peekaboo. God sees you. So uh, what we're talking about, see here's, see here's the dilemma that we have a lot of times is that, that people see the Old Testament and the New Testament like there's two different gods. You know, there's the mean God of the Old Testament and the nice God in the New Testament. And there are churches that do not even use the Old Testament. They're all New Testament. They miss out on so much because there's so much in that Old Testament that points to the New Testament. In fact, we've often said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The subject of the New Testament is Jesus Christ. The subject of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. It's the same theme throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, it is hidden. In the New Testament, it is revealed. So the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the prophecies. We're going to do a prophecy today in Genesis 3.15. Next week, Joe, I'll be speaking at Rimmel next week, but Joe will be talking about the star Bethlehem. We're going to talk about how that even the heavens declare the glory of God and the constellations preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then uh, the next week, we're going to be using the Hebrew alphabet. We're going, to, we're going to call it the case of the missing letter and what that means and how that points to Jesus Christ. And then we're going to do creation and how Jesus, we're going to talk about light 
And then we're going to, on the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to be talking about where Jesus was born. And that's going to be, that's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm just excited about all of these. I could, I'd like to preach them all this morning, but I can't. But I can't, one at a time. The story that we're going to look at today, we're going to be looking at Genesis 3.15. But we've got to set the scene before we get there. Because there was something that happened before Genesis 1-2. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But there was something that happened. So we don't know exactly where in the scheme of things that this happened. We know that it happened before the Garden of Eden. There was a conflict. There was a conflict. Before man was created, there was a conflict. And we're, we're going to look, and, and you'll see there uh, in your notes there, the conflict begins. And it talks about Ezekiel chapter 28. And let me just read a little bit, and we're kind of going to skip around. Uh, he is addressing the king of Tyre. But there's a double meaning here. You know, sometimes in Scripture there's a double meaning. And sometimes God addresses a person and then at the same time, he's addressing the spirit that drives that person. How many of you know that, <clears throat> that the, devil or the devil uses people sometimes to, uh, to try to, to do what he does? Hitler was used by the devil. Okay? We know, we know that. And, and many times that, that people are used by the devil. Sometimes the, uh, the, the devil uses somebody to get at you in your life. And so we need to remind ourselves that our conflict is not really with each other or with flesh and blood. We get in trouble when we get in conflict with each other. The conflict is between is principality and power and the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. And, and so our fight is not with people, but many times it's the spirit behind those people. And, and just on the opposite end of that, which is good news... The Holy Spirit also uses people to reach people. And that's why we're here today. I, I, I saw a Facebook post today, one of our, our members that had moved away, and they were talking about the struggle that they were having with, with churches, finding a church. And, and I love something that they said. They said that we, we lived in Batesville, and we, we, we went to Believer's Community Church, and it was a very loving church. Very loving church, and, and we've not been able to find anything. We've had conflict after conflict after conflict. Listen, not every church is full of love, but I want this one to be a beacon of God's love in a lost community. And I, I want us to be a beacon to, to those who are hurting, those who are in distress, those who are in all kinds of situations, not just addiction, but there's people, there's marriages in trouble out there. There are people that are searching that have been hurt by church. <clears throat> I want us to be a beacon of God's love throughout all of that. And so, so just as the devil uses people, listen, God uses people. The Holy Spirit uses people to reach people. You are to be a conduit of God's love, of God's Spirit to reach people. You know what? And, and God will direct you to people. And sometimes you speak into a person's life and you don't even know that, that you've done that. And that's so neat when you hear that testimony. We heard one the other night. It's something that I would said to somebody and 
done to, you know, with somebody and how that touched them, and I don't, even, I don't even have a recollection of it. You know why? Because it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was God, Christ in me, that was, that was doing that. And, 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 and that's so neat. But, but in, this, in, this, pro, in this, uh, this word here, he is addressing the king of Tyre, and at the same time, he's addressing the spirit that's behind the king of Tyre, which is Lucifer. And, and he says this, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and beauty. Uh, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, that king wasn't in Eden, the garden of God. He was addressing the spirit that was behind him, Satan. And, and he goes on, it says, uh, You were the anointed cherub. What's a cherub? It's an angel. How I many you know people aren't angels? There's not an angel in here that you can see. And when people die, they don't become angels. Quit saying that. Oh, they just become an No, they didn't. You know, I, I, I like it's a wonderful life, but that's not good theology. But he's addressing a cherub here, a, a, a cherub, which is an angel, who covers, I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And then it goes on into Isaiah, and, and it gives us more insight into this conflict. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You were cut down to the ground. Now, Here's the reason in verse 13. For you have said in your heart, these are the I wills of Satan. Don't adopt these as your lifestyle, okay? Don't adopt these as your lifestyle. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. His sin caused him to fall. He, he became in conflict. Why? Because he wanted to be bigger than God in his life. Don't we have that same conflict sometimes? You know, we come to the cross and we bow our knees and we say, Jesus, come into my life. Take control of my life. You know, I make you Lord of my life. Then we get up and sometimes, if we're not careful, we want to take the control of our lives and we want to, we want to do our thing, but we want God to bless it. And what we have become, we basically have taken the control of our life back over that we'd surrendered to the Lord. And this was, this was part of what Satan, uh, he fell about. Then in Revelation 12, 9, it's looking back on this. And it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, who was hurled into the earth and his angels with him. There was a rebellion in heaven. Lucifer uh, rebelled against God and he took a third of the angels with him. And so there was a conflict before man ever came into the earth. So now let's go and let's go and look at the creation of man. Let's go into the Garden of Eden. God creates the earth. He puts a garden there he, and he creates all kinds of creatures and trees and fruit and I mean, just a wonderful place. We call it paradise. It was designed to meet the needs of, of the man that he's about to create. In Genesis 1.26, it says, let, God said, let us, that, that's interesting, let us, not let me, let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, the air. So he put him in charge of all of the things that he created. And he gave them a command. He says, be fruitful and multiply and, and replenish the earth. He said, I'm giving you this. I'm putting you in charge of it. You take it and you rule over it and you, you take care of it and you guard it. You can have anything in this garden that, I, that I've given except one thing. See, here's the thing. God made man totally free. He was free of sin. He was free of death. He was free of anything that would hinder him. God gave him a freedom. But he also gave him something else. He gave him a choice. See, freedom without a choice is not really freedom. Say that again. Freedom without a choice is not really freedom. He just gives you this freedom, but you don't have any choice. That's not freedom. We're free to choose. And God wanted it that way because he didn't want to just make him a robot that, that he just did whatever he told him to do and he designed him that way. He said, okay, I'm, I'm giving you all of this. I've made you. I've made you in my image. You're as close to me as anything that I've ever created. You're not a God. You'll never be a God. But here, this, I give you this and you're free to use it except one thing. He says, of the, tree of, the, oops, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to talk about a conversation that took place. Remember, there's conflict in the universe. There's, there's harmony between God and man. There's a, and, and woman, mankind, they had a fellowship. They spent time together. We don't know how long... They were in communion in Eden. It, it could have been a day. It could have been one day. It could have been a year. It could have been many years that they were in communion. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and it doesn't really matter. But they were in total harmony and unity together. They spent time together. They loved to be in each other's presence. But there was a choice, and there was conflict in the universe, but it wasn't with God and man. It was with God and Lucifer. So what happens in Genesis chapter 3? There's a conversation that took place. It says, now the serpent, remember Revelation 12, it said that ancient serpent who is who? Satan, okay? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which God had made. And he said to the woman, he approaches the woman and he has a conversation with her. Has God indeed said. This is important. The thing that he comes at her with is what God said. Does it matter what God said? Does it matter what you said? No, it matters what God said. He didn't ask her opinion. He says, did God say? As long as we can stay with the word, we can stay on track. It's when we get away from the word, we get off track. So he says, did God say? Is this what God said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He's, see, he's directing the conversation towards a particular tree. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. He said, we're free to eat. We're free to eat. I hope we're free to eat when we get to heaven, don't you? 
Hope they have chocolate and all that good kind of stuff there. We're free to eat and don't get rotund. But of, the fruit of the, but, of, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God didn't say all of that. He said, You don't eat it. He didn't say anything about touching it. But usually if you touch it, you're going you know, to partake. There's a, there's a lesson in that. Don't touch. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. He contradicted what God said. What is he doing? He's sowing conflict. He's, he's trying to persuade her to get in conflict because God had already told them, the day that you eat of it, you shall die. We're going to be separated from each other. We will no longer be in unity. We will no longer be in harmony. And there will be an enmity between us. There will be something that you created between us that's going to separate us. It's not something that I chose. It's something that you chose. For God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He said, God didn't tell you the truth. He's holding back on you. So after there was the conversation, there was the committing of the sin. Okay. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband. He said, don't eat that. Is that what he said? And he ate. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. And it was his fault, not her fault. Ladies, you're not to blame. He was. So here's the committing of the sin. The next thing that happens after that is, is the consciousness of the sin. There's something that happened when they ate. You know what? They died. They had life before. There was no death in them. There was no sin in them. There was none of that. There was no awareness of right and wrong. That wasn't their modus operandi. Their modus operandi was to be directed by that righteous spirit that was on the inside of them. They didn't have to know good from, from evil. They perceived life, and they followed life, and they followed God. And that's what we... That's what we want to be in the New Testament. It's not all about right and wrong. It's the, it's the spirit of, uh, of love, and it's the spirit that God has put in us. But, that's, but they were alienated from that. So when the woman saw that the... Oh, oh we, we did that. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Not only were they physically naked. Somebody's giggling back there, I think. Not only were they physically naked, they were spiritually naked. They saw their nakedness. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And when they heard God, guess what they did? They ran and hid. There was something between them and God. There was a, there was a, 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 a chasm between them and God. What happened was that they had become one with the wrong spirit. Romans tells us, let me read that to you real quick. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. <clears throat> A spirit of sin came on them which God had to separate himself from. So they were separated. They became one with God's enemy. They, they were on the wrong side of the conflict. 
So what did God do? Did he, did he leave them to themselves? No, he confronted the sin. Thank God for that. And, and he, he goes in and says, what, what is this that you've done? You know what they did? They played the blame game, just like we do. I, you know, Lord, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It's that woman you gave me. The woman said, it wasn't me. The devil made me do it. And we all, we all rather than us say, Lord, you know what? I did it. One thing I loved about King David, when he was confronted with his sin, he said, I have sinned. Then he said, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. He come clean. We don't always come clean. We make excuses. Well, you don't understand. You know, and we get all of this stuff going on. And then there was the consequences for sin. There was consequences for the woman. There was consequences for the man. But what I want to cover is the consequences, what he said to Satan. So the Lord God said to the serpent in Genesis 3.14, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly. So, so there was a, this thing for the, for the serpent. And then he turned and addressed the spirit behind the serpent, the devil. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is an interesting statement. This is the first prophecy of Scripture. It's called, in, in some circles it's called the, the Proto-Evangelium or the Pre-Gospel. The Gospel is contained in this verse of Scripture right here. And this is, as we study the Christmas season, I want us to look at this. See, for a moment, forget about that you know the New Testament. View this through the eyes of Adam, Eve, and the serpent. You don't know the future. You don't have any point of reference for the future. You can't quote the New Testament because it hadn't been written yet. But this was the first prophetic word. This was the first word of doom for the devil and hope for the man. See, a lot of times we see God as this mean God because, listen, if God had been a mean God, he could have just left man alone and left him to his new God, Satan. He said, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, put, I'm going to place enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. He says, you, there's going to be conflict, all right, because I'm placing it there. And the, and the conflict that he placed there was the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. And that's what we're going to look at today. The word enmity indicates a relational state which exists and not just a brief rush of emotion. If you look at history, history is full of conflict. Good and evil. Good and evil. So there's this hatred. And let, let me just say something. This is where the, the seed of anti-Semitism was birthed. Because God chose a nation that he was going to raise up and that he was going to use to bring in Messiah. And because of that, Satan hates that nation. Are you listening to me? If you turn on the news, you can hear the spirit of anti-Semitism. 
It is not of God. There are churches, churches that call themselves Christ followers that are, are anti-Semitic. That is not of God. If you get around that, get away. Get away. Don't listen to that. It's not of God. God chose the Jewish people to bring Messiah. Our Savior is a Jew. Our Savior was never a Christian. He was Jewish his whole life. He didn't start a church. He operated in the confines of the Jewish religion. Heard the story one time, a little boy out playing, had a Jewish friend. He comes home, Mama, he told me that Jesus was a Jew. He said, well, honey, he, he was a Jew. He said, well, I knew God was Southern Baptist, but I didn't know Jesus was a Jew. That's kind of, you know, we've kind of been ignorant of certain things. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And Satan hates the seed of the woman. So the conflict that was between Lucifer and God enters into the conflict between mankind and God and Satan. And so what we're seeing here as we, as we go this way, we see this promise. Now, did they understand fully this promise? No. Satan didn't understand it. Eve didn't fully understand it, but they understood that this was a, a prophecy about the future, about the seed of the woman. Now, we're going to go to Genesis 4.1. We're going to look at Eve's reaction. And this kind of shows us that, that she had an inkling that God was talking about the future. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, the King James has an italics in there. And, and it, if you take the italics, italics means it was added by the translators, not by the, the authors. And if you look at that, it, what she said is, I have, I have acquired a man, the Lord. It's very possible that she thought that Cain was the seed of the woman. Because... How many women were there at that time? Who was it? It was Eve, the seed of the woman. He didn't know that the Lord was talking about something way in the future. It's possible that she thought Cain was the Messiah. So what was Satan's reaction? What happened? She had another son. His name was Abel. And guess what happened between the brothers? Conflict. Conflict. It's interesting, 1 John 3.12 tells us, it says, Not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. In other words, Satan got a hold of Cain and caused him to kill Abel. In Satan's mind, he thought maybe that he had... Stop the seed of the woman. But guess what? God gave her another son. His name was Seth. And it's interesting through the history of, of, 
of Israel, there's always this conflict, even among the people of Israel. Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau tried to kill his brother, Jacob. What about when the children of Israel were in the, the, uh, Egypt? And there was prophesied about one that was going to come that was going to lead the people out. What did Pharaoh have the midwives to do? He says, I want you to kill all of the male childs. Well, here we see this, this king or this other person trying to do something. But what spirit was behind it? What spirit of conflict was behind it? It was the, it was the seed of the serpent trying to stop the seed of the woman. God chose a line that he was going to bring it through. He didn't know who it was. Then there was, there was Saul who tried to kill David. There was Haman who passed a law that all of the Jews were to be killed. Uh, even in the time of Jesus, when, when he heard that the, the Messiah King had come, what did he do? He sent out an order that all of the male children from two years younger should be murdered. What was behind that? There was a man doing it, but what was behind it? It was that spirit of the enemy all the way back to, to Genesis 3.15, the, the, the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the seed of the, the, the woman. All through there, that was going on. But what, what was God doing? He was choosing the lineage. Let's look at Abraham. Genesis 12, 1. He, God said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land. I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I love this. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And look at this last part. It's prophetic. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How was that going to happen? Am I blessed by Abraham being in the world? How, how has his thing, his life in, in Israel, how has it affected me? Only one way. Through the seed of the woman that was passed through him. What about Isaac? Isaac was the next one. And the Lord dealt with him in, in Genesis 26, 3. He says, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. But, but here's something else. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. What was one of those oaths? That in you all the nations of the world would be blessed. The only way that the nations of the world has been blessed through Abraham it's through the seed of the woman that was to come. Amen. Don't make me beg for amens this morning. <laughs> then there was Jacob. We don't have time to read it. Genesis 28, 13 through 22. He establishes himself and he reaffirms to Jacob who, who, who becomes who? Gets his name changed to who? Israel. He gets his name changed from Jacob to Israel. He says, listen, I'm going to perform everything that I have promised. I have promised to Abraham. I confirmed it to Isaac. Now I'm confirming it to you. Well, guess what? Israel had 12 sons. Oh, my goodness. Don't you know that gave Satan fifth? Which one, which one is it coming through? Where, where, where's he at? He was, in a, he was in a tizzy. He didn't know who the seed of the woman was. 
In fact, the New Testament says that he'd known he had not crucified the Lord of glory. He didn't understand it. Men didn't understand it. They didn't have the New Testament to look at like we do. We are so, so blessed with those Bibles. At his death, he brought his sons in and he prophesied to them. In Judah's turn, now Judah wasn't that good a guy. But in Genesis 40, 49, 8 through 10, one of the things that he says in verse 10, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Who is Shiloh? That's Messiah. That seed of the woman that's coming to do what? To crush the head of the serpent. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. It goes on. And then guess who it's confirmed to next? David. 2 Samuel seven sixteen. God tells David, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. It wasn't in the natural. But guess what? In the supernatural it is. Because he was, oh, he was prophesying about the seed that was to come. I'm about to have me a fit. <laughs> Matthew 1, 1. Now look at this. This takes the present and ties the whole past into it. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There it is. This seed had to come through this lineage that God made all of these promises to. Through the years, thousands of years, he made these promises. And they came to one person, Jesus Christ. But let's go back and look at the concept of the seed of the woman. In scripture, in genealogy, that word that's used for, for seed, it can mean seed or offspring, but it has a strong connotation of sperm. Women don't have sperm. They receive sperm. And when it gives the genealogy, it always gives the genealogy of the man. But in this case... It gives the genealogy, or it gives, the, it gives the, the, the thing of the seed of the woman. Isaiah gives us some insight into this. Isaiah 7, 14. This is a good Christmas scripture. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. What is a sign? It's something, it's something that we can see, and it probably connects the past with the future. Okay? Here's the sign. You're going to look back and you say, oh yeah, that's a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So what is it prophesying about? A supernatural birth. God the Father, the woman, the virgin gives birth to the offspring of God. Luke chapter 1, 26. 
You bring your shouting clothes. You know, what, you know how this comes out because you read the book. But what I'm doing is I'm weaving it through the Old Testament so that you can see, hey, we're connected. The Testaments are connected. Israel and the church is connected. Our Messiah, our God has always been a loving God. His intent towards mankind has always been grace and love. He wants us to accept, but He gives us the, free, the freedom of choice. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And there's prophecies there about that, where the Messiah was going to come from. To a what? A virgin, not a young maiden. Some people say, oh yeah, it was just a young maiden. Well, let's see if she's just a young maiden. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of, of who? David. David. There's that connection. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying. And considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And his shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. See, there's that promise he made to David that, that your throne will be forever. It's going to be through Messiah. Oh, yes. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said, oh. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? I never had sexual relations with a man. I am a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is born to be born will be called the Son of God. God, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, indeed, okay. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. See, she had a choice to make. She could have said, No, I don't believe I want to do that. I don't want to be called those names. There's going to be some repercussions for this. If she only knew. If she, if she could have seen forward to the cross and the agony of her soul, she might not have wanted to do it. Behold the, the, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. She, would, she received seed, the sperm. It was of God, the Holy Spirit, and the virgin conceived. I love Galatians 3.16. This is the last verse. It says, And now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. What were those promises? Through you all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Isaac, he, he reaffirmed it. To Jacob, he reaffirmed it. To Judah, he reaffirmed it. To David, he reaffirmed it. All the way to Jesus. He does not say, And to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. That's where it began. It culminated at the cross. Satan didn't understand. He did everything he could to stop the seed. In fact, he tried, he tried to get Jesus killed 
before he went to the cross. And he didn't know that him going to the cross was going to be the crushing of his head and the wounding of Christ's heel. But that's Easter. And we'll talk about that during Easter. So who is the seed of the woman? Jesus Christ. Where was that predicted? In the Garden of Eden. And the bottom line is God loves you. Thousands of years for this to come to pass. God loves you. He's not mad. Now God has anger. But he has more grace than anything. And if we will accept that grace, guess what? Our past can be gone. That's the good news. That's why we assemble together to worship God because He has redeemed us from our past. He's redeemed us from our sin. He has rescued us from death and given us eternity to be with Him. Just like He designed Adam and Eve to be in the Garden of Eden. Hey, let's stand together. Prayer team, would you come? We're going over a little bit today. Is that okay? We're going to sing a song and, and hey...